Well, good morning again. So glad that you are here. Um, I meant well, um, to pray for our kids earlier during our welcome time. Our kids are at camp right now, and, and tomorrow our youth will be leaving to go to camp, and so we want to pray for them. Um, but, but Bill, I understand that you've got um, a potential candidate to help us lead worship in the future. Sonny Radford on um, Friday got up on stage apparently at camp and rapped for everybody. And so I guess he's... In, Next week, I guess he's the musician in, in waiting, and so Aaron, make sure that you tell him that we um, pointed his musical talents out during worship. Apparently, there's a video, too. We might want to watch that before we actually give him um, this, the, a microphone, but let, in fact, let's just take a moment. Let's pray for our kids. They've got another day there, and let's just pray for the Lord to do a work in their life and as well as our students as they get ready to go tomorrow. Father God, we do come before you now and lift up our, our, our kids at camp. Father, we pray for, for Stephanie and Sonny as they lead out um, our particular group of kids. And Lord, we just pray that you will transform lives. Father, we pray for every child that's at camp. We know that there's a good number that are there. And Lord, we pray that if there are some of our students or other students there that do not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. And Lord, we also pray for our students as they get ready tomorrow to head down to Austin to go to camp. Lord, we pray that you'll do a mighty work in their lives. We pray for the camp pastor, the worship um, leaders. We pray for our sponsors that will be going, Lord, that you will just transform lives and radically Father, just conform, may we see conformity to your word within the hearts of our students. Father, we're looking forward to seeing how you're going to move through both of these camps in the lives of our students and adults. Father, be with us this morning as we continue to walk through our David series. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series on the life of David. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see David go from a national war hero to a man on the run. If you recall, a couple weeks ago we looked at the greatest battle um, in the Old Testament, the battle between David and Goliath after David slayed that, that giant. Um, he was immediately elevated to positions of leadership. Okay, there was, he was already the musician to the king, but he also would become an instrumental um, commander of the king's army. He would become um, the son-in-law to the king whenever he took Michael as his wife. He would be the very best of friends with the king's son, Jonathan. But if you recall last week, we looked at how even though the Lord had given David these relationships, Saul was out to kill him. And, and on multiple um, occasions throughout David's life, he will be um, on the run from King Saul, on the run from others. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at how David is on the run. And what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see this war hero go from, from up here, down here, overnight. He's going to be at the top of his game to a man that has hit rock bottom because the Lord is going to take from him every key relationship in his life. Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced going from, um, man, just living the American dream? I mean, you're up here, you're as happy as you can be, and then all of a sudden, 
one thing after another is taken from you. Maybe it was a job that you lost. Maybe it was a marriage um, divorce or the loss of a spouse. Maybe you were an athlete, and man, you were on your way, and then a sports in- injury just immediately destroyed your dreams. Maybe you experienced a financial crisis or a family crisis. You were living the dream, and then in a moment, it was all taken from you. And that is what we will see this morning with David. He was living the dream, and in a moment, everything is going to be taken from him. I want us to see this morning that the very people that are out to get us are usually those who are most threatened by us. And that's what we can see with this relationship between David and Saul. Saul was threatened by David. You remember the song that they had, they had ascribed to David? Saul had killed his thousands and David his ten thousand. And you can bet that King Saul was jealous of David. And we looked at that a little bit last week. But what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see a need to lean upon the Lord. That's what David would learn eventually. But it took him a while to get to that point where he had learned to rely solely upon the Lord. Notice the first point this morning. It's this. David flees for his life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 1, and then we're going to kind of skip around a little bit in this chapter because we've already covered some of this chapter in previous messages on, on the life of David. But in 1 Samuel chapter 19, in beginning in verse 1, we read these words. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. Think about that for a moment. Okay, King Saul wants David dead. And he will try to kill David. At least on three occasions, he's going to hurl a spear at David. He will try to get his son Jonathan to kill David. He will try to get his servants to kill David. And he's even going to try to get the Philistines. You know, the Philistines where Goliath was from. He's even going to get them to try to kill David. He really does not care who kills David. He just wants him dead. Why? What had David ever done to the king? You know what David had done? He had taken his glory. The king was no longer the most popular person in Israel, but now it is David. David had robbed the king of his glory. You know, I, I, you know this, I love sports, especially baseball and football. Those are my two go-to sports. I can watch every cowboy game or every ranger game, and I try to watch most of those. But here's what I know about most athletes. They're glory-absorbing individuals, aren't they? They like attention. Man, you, you, you look at some of these, especially running backs or wide receivers, man, they will get mad at the quarterback and the coaches if they don't get the ball enough. Why? Because they're glory-absorbing individuals. But here's the reality. Every single professional athlete will one day hang up their cleats for the final time, and they will no longer be at the top of their game. It's happened to the greats like um, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Michael Jordan, Jim Brown, Roger Staubach, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Nolan Ryan. And there's going to come a day when LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Tom Brady, and other superstars that play today will do the exact same thing. 
They're going to hang up their cleats for the final time, and they're no longer going to be the most popular people within their cities. In 2006, I had the opportunity to go to um, a Dallas Cowboys game at the old um, Texas Stadium in Irving. And I'll never forget this particular game because it was a Monday night game. And that's really the only way I'd ever be able to go to game if it's a Monday night. It's kind of hard to go to a noon game on Sunday when you're a pastor. But I got to go to this game. And at that time, um, there was a quarterback by the name of, of, of Drew Bledsoe who was the starting quarterback. Bledsoe was never a great quarterback, but he would have some, some pretty good moments in his, in his career. He went to the Pro Bowl three times, he led his team to the Super Bowl once, and he played in numerous playoff games. But in 2006, he was not at the top of his game. In fact, he was just pretty much atrocious. If you're a Cowboy fan, you expect to win. It's been a long time since we've seen a winning you know, record, really, but... Um, this particular season, um, in this particular game, from the very moment that game began, any time Drew Bledsoe would do something wrong, the fans began to chant out for a young quarterback by the name of Tony Romo. And I'll never forget, I was in the stands that day. I had the opportunity, whenever Bledsoe messed up, which was a lot, we began to chant, Romo, Romo, Romo. And at, 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 at the second start of the second half, Bill Purcells hurt us, okay? And, and he took note of what we were saying. And Tony Romo would come out, and, and he would become one of the greatest quarterbacks that the Cow Cowboys have ever had. Now, some people will doubt that, question that, but he was a really good quarterback. But here's the deal. Here's what happened to Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe went from one of the most popular people in Dallas to all of a sudden becoming a nobody. And Tony Romo kind of took his place. And that's what's um, is happening within David's life. So David goes from being the most popular person in town to all of a sudden being a nobody. All of us one day will go from being at the very top of our games to one day turning in our keys, turning out the lights, and riding off into the sunset. Usually you and I get to dictate when those changes occur, but David didn't. David literally went from a nobody to a giant slayer to a man on the run in a matter of days. Every trusted relationship in David's life would be stripped from him. And what David has to learn is he has to learn to lean upon the Lord. And it's going to take him a while before he gets to that point, but eventually he will. Notice our second point this morning. David experienced losses. The first loss David would experience would be the loss of his position. David was a commander in Saul's army. And Scripture tells us that wherever he went, he was successful. Man, why in the world would the king get rid of his most successful warrior? Because once again, David was robbing him of his glory, and he didn't care what the consequences would be. In a moment, David would go from being a successful military leader, having slayed thousands of enemy combatants, to a fugitive on the run. And the ironic thing is this, that probably the very soldiers that he commanded would be the ones out to kill him. That is how life sometimes goes. Sometimes our greatest advocates become those who are out to get us. Notice what 1 Samuel 19, 8 through 10 
says. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Saul, And he sat in his own house with a spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Can you imagine the emotions that David must have been going through? Saul was David's hero. Saul was his father-in-law. Saul was the father of his very best friend. And this man is throwing spears at him, trying to kill him. Well, David would no longer play in the king's house anymore. David here would become a man on the run because he lost his position. Notice also David lost his wife. We, looked, we, we made reference to his wife, but we haven't really dug into that much. And so here's the deal. King Saul had promised the man that killed Goliath great riches, promised that his father would no longer have to pay taxes, and also promised his daughter's hand in marriage. And so David, I guess, would get the riches. His father would no longer have to pay taxes. And David would get one of his daughters as his wife. Now, the problem with that is he was promised the older daughter, Merib. But he would end up getting Michael. But, but we can see in Scripture that David would clearly love Michael. But like Jonathan, she would protect David from her father. But unlike Jonathan, she would not defend David to her father. So look here at 1 Samuel 19, 11 through 17. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to date David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I might kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So she would both protect David before her father and lie to her father, claiming that David threatened her life if she did not help him escape. So in an instant, David lost his wife. So, so far we've seen David lose his position, and now he has lost his wife. And notice the third relationship that he is going to lose. It's going to be his mentor. And what we're seeing here is, is, is you know, um, my kids love when I use them as illustrations, okay? But all of us in this room had security blankets, right? Okay, some of you still carry your security blankets with you, and you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or whatever. Okay, my two kids' security blankets, they're in their um, shadow boxes. But there was a day when they carried that thing everywhere they went. And if they left that thing behind, guess what they did, man? They cried. 
They, they were upset when they left that behind. Well, here's what we're seeing with David. David is losing his security blankets one after the other. And you know how valuable that security blanket is. I mean, you want that back, but David is not going to be able to get these, these securities back in his life. So we see here that David lost his mentor. In 1 Samuel 19, in verses 18 through 20, we read, Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he, had, he, and, he and Samuel went and lived in Nioth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So having fled King Saul, having fled his wife, David would run to his mentor Samuel. And you remember who Samuel is, right? Samuel is a judge. He was a prophet. And he was the, an anointer of the first two kings. He anointed King Saul. And then he anointed King David. We do not know how long David would spend with Samuel. But it would most likely be short-lived. Because Saul is going to chase him down. And he's going to try and kill him. First, he's going to send his messengers. And when they couldn't get the job done, then Saul is going to go after them. And we'll see that Saul is unable to get the job done because God is protecting David. Even though David is losing his security one after the other and not leaning upon the Lord like he should, God is still protecting him from Saul and from these enemy combatants. So gradually, David has lost his position He's lost his wife, and now we see he loses his mentor, and next he's going to lose his friendship. David's world is literally being turned upside down. Every trusted relationship in his life is being squeezed out by King Saul. And now his friendship also is going to be squeezed out. In 1 Samuel 20, 41 through 42, we read these words. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. And we looked at this passage last week. David is a broken man. He is brought to tears because he is losing his most trusted friendship. And then we see in verse 42, Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan had provided David with as much protection as he possibly could from his father. And it had come to the point where he could protect him no more. And so Jonathan and David, they say their goodbyes. Um, on one other occasion in Scripture, we'll see them come back together. But it would be a while. So he's losing his trusted relationship. These two men would break down and weep before they said their goodbyes. So there would be no one left in David's life that he could turn to for support. He's lost his position. He has no soldiers that he is leading. There are no servants that are with him. There is no wife. There is no mentor. There is no friend. David is absolutely alone in the world. He's alone in the nation that he has been promised king to be king 
over. But there is no one left. You would think that it could not get any worse. Have you ever been to that point in your life where you've said, it can't get any worse than this? And then unfortunately, it gets worse than that. Well, David is at that place right now. And so we're going to see the last loss in his life next. David lost his dignity. David would go from one of the most confident of all men, one of the most confident men that we have ever read about in the Bible. You know, he is a, he is a slayer of bears, a slayer of lions, a slayer of giants. He has slayed thousands of, of enemies. And now what we see is this man lose his dignity. He has hit rock bottom. And he, would, he is going to act like a madman in the presence of his enemies. The next thing we see David do is David goes into the city of, of, or into, to, into Gath. Okay, do you know who was from Gath? You know who was from there? Goliath was from there, and so David is going to walk into that city, into that place where where the giant Goliath was from, and he's going to seek to find refuge within that city. You know, first of all, Israelites weren't to go into the land of the Philistines. They were already have, supposed to have wiped out the Philistines from the face of the earth, but they failed to do that when they conquered the land. And so that's why we see this war between Israel and the Philistines. But here we see our national war hero entering into the land of the Philistines. And, and, and notice this, okay, in 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 13, we read these words. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Notice what happens here in verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. When David entered into the city of Gath, he was immediately recognized. Can you imagine that scene? Those popular, their, their, their war hero had been slayed by David. And now this man that has a song, number one hit in all of Israel, sung about him, that he has slayed his ten thousands, enter into this city alone. Man, I, I, I probably, if I was from the city of Gath, I'd be scared to death. Man, he, he, he already destroyed our, our, our number one war hero. Now he's come to do what to us? Man, who's following him? Who's up in the hills that's going to be coming into my city to raid it? No one. David enters that city alone, probably looking for a place to eat and a, a, a bed that he could lay himself down in. He goes into that city alone. But once recognized, David was swept up with fear 
And he changed his demeanor and began acting like a madman. David had hit rock bottom. Our biblical hero, the man who slayed Goliath, the man who had risen to fame, the man who out of every man on the face of the earth was chosen to be the second king of Israel, the man that God declared after his own heart and is now a, a, a acting like a madman in the presence of his enemies. He is literally foaming at the mouth. Here's the reality. When every security in your life is removed, there is a good chance that you and I might respond in an unflattering way as well. Especially if we choose to lean upon man or our earthly relationships instead of upon God. What David is doing is David has been leaning upon his relationships with man instead of leaning upon his relationship with the Lord. And so one after the other, security after another is ripped from him. Notice what happens next in verses 14 and 15. Then Achis said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? This is pretty funny here. Do I like madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? The king is like, do I like madmen? I've got enough nuts around me right now. Why are you bringing this madman here as well? And so what's going to happen to David is David is going to be kicked out of this city. So David cannot even find shelter in the land of his enemies. What we're going to see next week, is we're going to see David, really, you think he's at rock bottom now. We're going to see next week, really, David at rock bottom. But we're also going to see David begin to rise out of this heap that he is in, this pit that he is in, and we're going to see God restore him. We're going to see relationships restored in his life, and we're going to see him begin to lean upon the Lord like the Lord intended him to do to begin with. So David went out on the run, okay? When he began running, he ran for the right reasons, okay? If someone's ever out to kill you, it's okay to run from them, all right? It, you don't always have to face them and throw your spear at them. It's okay sometimes to run and flee your enemies, okay? David ran for the right reasons, okay? But when he ran, he made some poor choices, and I think all of us in this room would admit there have been times that we have run as well. We have run and just left all of our, all of our, 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 our relationships behind, some good, some bad. We've left our churches behind. We've left our families behind. We've left everything behind, and we have run. Life is hard, isn't it? That's our next point. Life is hard sometimes, Okay. Man, I wish that I could say that, that every single day was like living the American dream, but it's not. You and I, when we live in a, in a world where we have relationships, sometimes we mess up, sometimes they mess up. Life is hard. You and I have two critical relationships in our lives, two critical relationship types in our lives. First of all, we have 
horizontal relationships, okay? Those are the relationships that we have with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our church family. Those are the relationships that we have with individuals on this planet, okay? Then we also have our vertical relationship. That is the relationship that we have with God the Father. Our horizontal relationships will come and go. Those we have relationship with on this earth will also wound us deeply at times. And David experienced those wounds time and time again. Several years ago, I, I kind of found myself um, in a situation where every, um, not every, but many of the relationships that I had in my life that I considered to be most dear, um, mentors in my life, friends in my lives, um, people that I'd done life with for close to 30 years, in an instant, those relationships were severed. And, and that was one of the hardest periods of my life. It's one of the lowest moments of my life as well. Had I not depended upon the Lord and leaned upon the Lord, there's no telling where I would be today. You and I need to learn to lean upon the Lord. What we can learn from David is this, okay? We can learn that our horizontal relationships can take the place of God. How many of you have ever allowed that to happen? How many of you have ever allowed a relationship with another individual take the place of God? I've shared this story with you before, but, but I'll never forget whenever I was a, a senior in high school, um, one of my favorite all-time coaches was the name, his name was Coach Art. And, and he was a believer, and he knew that I was a believer. And one day I sat down in his office, and he said, Chad, share with me your top ten priorities in your life. And, and I said, being, being, you know, thinking that he wanted to hear this, I said, football. And then I said, baseball. And then I think I said, family. And then I said, then I finally got to my relationship with the Lord. And man, Coach Art, he just ripped me a new one right there because he made it clear, knowing that I was a believer, me knowing that he was a believer, made sure that I understood at such a young age that there is no relationship in my life more important than the relationship that I have with God the Father. And so he helped me to learn that my relationship with God is here, and then my family is here, and then the church is here, and then every other relationship falls below that. Sometimes we allow our relationships with one another, our, our, our hobbies or the things that we do to take the place of God the Father. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. You know who God the Father is? God the Father is, is the one that we can fall back and fall upon. He, he has his arms open wide, ready to catch us at any moment. So our horizontal relationships can easily take the place of our relationship with God. Our horizontal relationships can, can also become a crutch in our lives. Chuck Swindoll wrote, when you lean on another person or another thing, you focus, your focus is sideways, not vertical. You find yourself constantly looking to the other person or relying upon that thing, that nice, secure bank account that is in the vault. 
Those things keep our focus horizontal. Human crutches paralyze the walk of faith. These relationships can destroy us, but this relationship gives us eternal life. It's here that we find our joy. It's here that we find our, our, our comfort and our shelter is found in the relationship with the Lord. Notice also our horizontal relationships will come and go. Our earthly relationships are temporary at best. They will come and go, but the Lord will never leave us. And we have this promise in Scripture that he will never forsake us. David had to get to this point in his life where he, had, where he recognized that his support system would be forever changing in his life. All of his earthly relationship was, would change. But his relationship with God the Father would never change because God is the one constant that we have in our lives. Our God will never change. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. And he will always be there for us. One writer reminds us it's not easy to take. But the truth is when the Lord finds us leaning on everything else in our lives instead of on him, he will begin the painful process of dismantling our support system one prop at a time. He does not do this to harm us, but to help us learn to lean on him alone. David would learn to lean. And I love the psalm that, that he penned, Psalm 34, 1-11. Notice these words, okay? Notice how David did learn to lean. It says, I bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David had to learn the hard way, but David eventually learned. We also may need to learn the hard way, but we also can learn. We need to learn to lean upon the Lord. There's a song that the lyrics go like this, sad, broken hearted at an altar I've knelt. I found a peace so serene. All that he asked is a childlike trust and a heart that is learning to lean, learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. You don't, you don't just arrive, do you? It takes a process, doesn't it? We learn to lean upon the Lord. You know, the story is shared of a, of a rather large man that had gone too far out into the ocean. And, and he began to struggle. 
and the lifeguard saw him struggling. And so he runs out into the ocean, dives into the water, and he gets to that man. And he's a couple of feet from that man, and he notices this man is just failing his arms. And he's just beating the water. He's screaming out for help because he is in the process of drowning. This lifeguard begins to try to calm him down, try to reassure him, just relax, I'm here, I want to save you. And this man just continues to flop in the water, continues to struggle for his life. And eventually this man becomes so tired that he has no fight left in him. And at that point, the lifeguard goes up to him, and this man is is easily twice the size of the lifeguard. But that lifeguard, he takes his arm and he puts it up under that man's arm and he grabs that man by his chest and puts his arm right underneath the neck and he begins to backpedal. And he, and he goes um, back to the beach and this man turns to that lifeguard and he says, thank you for saving me. You know, there are times in our lives Well, we are doing this as well, right? Well, we feel like we are drowning, and we may very well be drowning because we're trying to do this life on our own. But if we would just stop and rely upon our Savior who is right there with us, He's there to rescue us. He's there to comfort us. He's there to help pull us up out of that water, put us back on dry land, and, 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 and be with us and lead us and guide us through life. You know, you may be here this morning, and you find yourself much like David. Relationship after relationship that you have, 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 have learned to trust and depend upon in your life is just being taken from you one after the other. And man, you're at a point in your life where you're just hurting, you're full of pain, and you don't know what to do. You're drowning is what you're doing. Let me invite you this morning to trust in the Lord. He's there. He's there to comfort you. He's there to pick you up. He's there to guide you out of that water. David had to hit rock bottom before he learned this. Let's not get to the point where we have to hit rock bottom ourselves before we learn this. David would learn to lean and learn to trust as all of us need to do. If you're here this morning and you're struggling and you need somebody to pray with you, then I'm up here at the front. I would love to pray with you. There may be a friend in this room that you need to go to and just say, hey, I need somebody to pray with me this morning. I'm struggling. And I'm right now, I'm drowning. I need somebody to help me. Will you pray for me? You may need to do that this morning. You may be here this morning and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. And if you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I want you to know right now that the Lord is here for you. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. He wants to pick you up out of that water and and give you new life. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to do two things this morning. Number one, repent of your sin. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room are sinners. Every single one of us in this room have fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible also says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The consequences of our sin is death. And the death it's talking about here is an eternal death in a real place called hell. That is the consequences. But 
Scripture goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The ESV version says the free gift of God. Jesus came to this earth to provide a free gift for all of us in this room to rescue us from our sinful nature and give us a new life in him. So if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, first you need to repent of your sin. Okay, And then you need to cry out to Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe within your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So this morning, come and repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. I don't know what decision you need to make, but I invite you this morning to make it. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Let's pray. Father God, we do come before you now, Lord Jesus. Father, admitting that there are times in our lives, way, way, way too many times in our lives where we rely upon our earthly relationships, our peer relationships, our family relationships. And we allow those relationships to take precedence in our lives. And Lord, We don't depend upon you first. We don't cry out to you first. We cry out to our friends or a family or to our church family instead of you. And so, Father, this morning, there may be some in this place that need to cry out to you. Cry out to you to be the rock that you have promised us that you are in our lives. Father, there may be some here this morning that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior. If they were to die today, they don't know where they would spend eternity. So I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you will draw the lost unto yourself. May there be men, women, students, and children potentially in this room that need to repent of their sins and cry out to you. There may be some here this morning that have been visiting this church a while and you're calling them to make friendship their church home. Father, I don't know what decision you need to make, but move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you come. If you're here this morning, you need somebody to pray with you. I'm here to pray with you. There are others in this room that are here to pray with you. Go to them and say, pray for me. I need somebody to, 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 to help me as I rely upon God. First of all, obviously, we need to pray to the Lord, don't we? So for the next few moments, let's bow our heads. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us when we go to man before we go to him. Let's ask the Lord to give us the strength that we need to go throughout this life. And then if there's a decision you need to make, you come. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let's spend the next few moments just praying to the Lord.